welcome to another episode of the Ultimate Supply Chain podcast, where we invite industry leaders to answer your questions and provide some insight into the world of logistics. I'm really excited about today's episode, and I've been banging on about this one since our episode on returns management at the back end of last year. In today's podcast, we're going to talk about service logistics and specifically how and where the circular economy is starting to play a major role in advancing our industry. So I'm really chuffed to be joined by Scott Allison, who's my colleague and friend and Chief Customer Officer of Service Logistics here at DHL Supply Chain. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Lou. Nice to see you again and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Appreciate it. Not at all. So, Scott, can you start by giving us a brief explanation of what service logistics is and how it's linked to the circular economy and the circular supply chain? Yeah, sure. So, well, service logistics is one of DHL supply chain's global products. Um, you know, we're a global business. Uh, we operate a global network uh, where we provide warehousing and transportation services for really anything that has that is attached to a service event. And, you know, often people think about that as aftermarket, you know, spare parts, mm. um, uh, but it's not only spare parts. Uh, we have, um, you know, we certainly have spare parts where we're, we're sending out pieces of technology, for instance, to engineers that are repairing uh, data centers or in telecoms for, you know, wireless networks. But also we're, we're, we're delivering now, you know, finished goods, finished products into surgeries uh, for, for operations for patients. So if you think about right. a pacemaker being a, a spare part for a, for a patient, then, uh, then that's, that's what we're doing. So it's a, it's a pretty important area uh, where, um, you know, most of the services that we provide are just in time. It's about high availability uptime. Uh, of those services uh, to our customers. Um, and where the circular economy comes in, you know, many people would argue that we've, we've been in a circular economy in our business for a long time, because if you think about it logically, when you install a new spare part, uh, you have to deinstall an old spare part. And we've sure. been involved in sort of engineering returns for the longest time in terms of those parts coming back to us and then doing the disposition of those parts. So um, so we've been involved in that for a long time. Um, but, you know, it's really um, uh, become more of a, of a topic for us in the last couple of years, especially after the pandemic, um, where, you know, everyone was... Uh, working from home, uh, we, uh, you know, we had to get individual laptops and accessories out to uh, employees uh, of customers. Um, and, yeah. and that's, you know, developed into a whole uh, new piece of business uh, for us. So that's, um, that's, that's what we're focused on now is, is how can we, um, you know, bring a, a whole circular uh, service to our customers, not just about you know, laptop devices and accessories, et cetera, but any type of, of device. So, Scott, you mentioned that it's a, um, a global solution here at DHL Supply Chain. Is it is it truly global? Are some regions more ahead than others? It, it is truly global. Uh, we have uh, 1,200 uh, what we call forward, forward stocking locations uh, around the world um, in 140 countries. Um, so, wow. you know, we have really global coverage like any, anywhere, you know, there's strengths and weaknesses there. There's areas where we're stronger than others, but, you know, we are truly in all, all of the five regions that, that we cover, 
um, you know, and and you know, and and I would say in probably ninety eight percent of of GDP. Awesome. Um, I'm imagining that you guys are very much in line with the changing consumer behaviour that we're, say, we're seeing, where especially the younger generation is far more conscious of being environmentally um, knowledgeable these days. Um, we've seen the rise of re-commerce um, mm -hmm. and how people are now using secondhand refurbished products over recent years. Can you tell us more about product recovery and, and what that means to our industry? Yeah, I think there's um, there's an important differentiation that people need to get their head around, which is the difference between uh, return and recovery. So, you know, I think, you know, and previously you had Nabilon, who's obviously our e-commerce uh, head, and he mm -hmm. talked about returns. And, you know, if you think about that, you know, uh, e-commerce players want to minimize the amount of returns coming back uh, because, you know, obviously that that's, a, that's an additional cost for them. So that's about yeah. minimizing returns and doing that in the most efficient way. Actually, what, where we're involved is, is in product recovery is actually the opposite, which is we're trying to maximize the amount of products that are being recovered from the field um, to try and find a useful second life for that product. Uh, and, of course, uh, uh, reducing the amount of products that are then going to landfill. So that could be, you know, uh, either refurbishing a product. Uh, so if you, let's say, DHL buys a product from, uh, from a company today, uh, we're a large enterprise company, maybe we can afford that product. Uh, but, you know, uh, Joe Bloggs, small company, might not be able to afford a brand new product, but they, they might be able to afford a, uh, a refurbished product. So we're finding, you know, there's a kind of a, a second market for many of the products that our customers have. Um, and so, you know, our job there is to really uh, make it easy for our customers to recover that product from the end consumer. We've done some market research with some of the, the, the top companies, you know, the Fortune 500 companies, and they've, they have consistently told us that one of the most difficult things is to try and get the product back. And that's where, you know, logistics plays a key role in the circular economy and making it easy for consumers to send products back uh, and to recover some value for that product. So, you know, if you, if you have your, your mobile phone and you want to give it back to the mobile, mobile phone manufacturer, you know, you own that phone, so you should get some value for that. And then thirdly, you want to make sure that your private data has been wiped from that before it, you know, reaches, you know, the next user. So there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, areas which are, you know, critical to make it work. But I would say that the the key thing is to for us is to you know make it make it easy for the end consumer to send the products back. Um, consistently, we hear from our customers that once they get the product back. They're actually figuring out what they want to do with that product is relatively straightforward. So it's uh, it's more right. about the logistics of that and then enabling the connection, uh, the consumer, the connection of that. Yeah. Right. So um, I did read um, amongst our friends at Boston Consulting Group that the value of e-waste recycling will be 170 billion euros by 2030. Yes, unfortunately. What's that about? And where are the challenges and opportunities in the future? Well, we are we are all um, we're all uh, guilty of of uh, creating e-waste, right? Us as consumers. Um, and I don't know about you, Lou, 
but if I go around my uh, drawers in my office or, or in my in my kitchen cupboards, oh. um, I'm pretty sure you've you've got an ask. old you've got an old mobile phone in there, right? You've probably got multiple old mobile phones. I've probably got a Nokia twenty three thirty. Exactly. Yeah. When you think about mobile phones, laptops, just old electronic devices, um, they they reach. Uh, an end of cycle, whether technology mm-hmm. overtakes uh, the, the the device that you have um, or, uh, you know, it, it truly uh, reaches end of life if it has a hardware failure or, you know, we've all been there with our laptops where, you know, the software is updated and uh, it starts to slow down over time, right? Mm. However, so, you know, those devices, um end up in landfill at some point in time right and so what companies are trying to do is to avoid that a going to landfill and and b um extract as much value from that product as we, they possibly can so really the end goal is to find a useful second third fourth even you know fifth life for that product either in its existing form in a refurbished form yeah. or uh, as we're as we're seeing from some of the market uh, companies we're talking to, you know, new business models being developed, which are more uh, leasing products to customers rather than selling, and then you know over the lifetime of the product, you know, it could be that uh, w- that product is then broken down for spare parts. So we've all heard about uh, scarcity being an issue with, you know, semiconductors, precious metals, all of those things. So you know, if we can then uh, break that product down into a component spare part, then that avoids that company then having to go and buy that spare part again from a supplier. And so there's a, there's a whole uh, business model there, which is really interesting, actually. We, we did some research with one of the top uh, enterprise computing companies uh, who, are, right. who, are, who are involved in, you know, switches and routers. And they told us that, you know, uh, if, if a product, let's say, costs $100, it costs them $4 to scrap that product. So it actually costs them money to scrap the, do- the, the product. If they can uh, harvest that product into spare parts, they can make an additional 4% or $4 uh, on the original sales value of the product. And if they can, right. uh, if they can refurbish the entire unit, they can make an additional $14 uh, by refurbishing it and then selling that onto a, a second uh, onto a second customer and so there's a, a kind of almost a 20 percent swing there where companies can get additional value from the original product that they manufactured and so you, you know I, I remember i was involved in a software economy workshop back in london and i think it's 2012 and we had probably the top 15 technology companies in the room and i, I remember at the time Everyone said, hey, we want to do the right thing for the environment, but not if it costs mm. more, right? Yeah. And what's yeah, finally yeah. happened is that um, companies have figured out that they, they can do the right thing for the environment and they can make money at the same time. And so I think that's what's helped spun the latest sort of iteration of circular economy concepts that, that is becoming much more accepted these days. And people are actually mindfully, I mean, um organizations are mindfully building that into their cost process i mean i think about the last time i chipped my phone in for an upgrade 
Mm-hmm. Um, it was automatic that I would give my existing phone back. And yeah, there was some, there was some, um, I'm sure there was some discount in it, but there yep. was no question about the discount. It was part of the model. That's right. Is that happening in industry now as well as with yeah. a, you know, a, a consumable piece of tech? Yeah, there's, well, there's two sides to it. One is the manufacturing side. So products right. are be, are being, so hardware is becoming much more configurable. Um, right. So it, it's becoming modular, which means it's easier to swap out components, right? Um, and that's, there's a whole movement which started in Europe um, and is now moving to the US now around uh, the right to repair. So, you know, some products in the past were very difficult to break down and repair without, you know, really having a lot of technical expertise. And, um, you know, companies are now figuring out that actually there's a, there's a good business model for doing that. So that's on the hardware uh, in terms yeah. of the manufacturing. Secondly, is the software. So, you know, you've got companies like Microsoft. I mean, I would say that Windows is the predominant um you know, system platform that most companies use from an enterprise point mm-hmm. of view around the world. And so um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a system that Microsoft has launched called Autopilot, which is essentially makes it much more easy to uh, download applications to a device. Um, and you don't necessarily need to have an engineer to do that in future. Um, you know, if you think about, you know, you get your device, it's a blank device, you put your user credentials in there and automatically from from the cloud uh it will say okay what are the uh, what are the applications that Lou or Scott uh, is allowed to have yeah. and it will download those automatically so that whole um software configuration hardware uh, uh modularity has made it much easier for companies to to do this, right? And to and to yeah. swap that out, and it's really it's, it's brought about also uh, new business models. So the predominant um, uh, the predominant uh, laptop and desktop uh, model pre-pandemic was uh, I'm going to sell you the laptop. So you know here at DHL. Mm-hmm. We buy our laptops, we, we buy them, uh, and then uh, we're allowed to replace them every four years. Um, what's happening now post-pandemic is that um, the hardware providers are getting more into a device-as-a-service type of model, very like your mobile phone model, um, where uh, you know they want to lease that to you, and then they want to track that asset in the field and maybe even in two years' time, they'll bring that asset back. You'll get a new laptop. They'll bring the asset back, and then uh, and then we'll refurbish it and um, and and put it back on the shelf uh, for for use by a by a second user. And that might even happen again. Uh, and the third time it comes back, uh, it gets broken down for spare parts. So you know you're reusing that device over and over again, and and, times, yeah. and and getting the maximum value out of the original component parts. So unfair question, mm-hmm. what is the primary motivation or what is the primary value that a customer derives from that model? Because I used to work for an equipment leasing company a few years ago and primarily our sell was on price. Mm-hmm. Is it still price? Uh, uh, actually, the price of the devices themselves are coming down quite a bit and companies right. are making probably more money these these days, I would say, from the services that are provided. And, and I, you have to, I think you have to think about the customer experience and the life 
the the life cycle of a customer relationship. So, you know, is the life cycle of the customer relationship the original sale? Or do I wanna do I wanna maintain that customer for 10 years and have that customer yeah. on 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 my platform for 10 years? So I think the it's it's moving towards the latter part of that explanation. Um so that you know companies are looking at at, at services becoming um you know much more important. The the other piece which is interesting is that the way that we consume devices um is also changing. Um so you know if you and I go to Best Buy or Curry's in the UK, I don't know if Curry's are, are still going in the UK these days, but um, are. good. Uh, and you buy a consumer device, you know, you're you're buying an individual device, right? The the predominant um, business model for finished goods organisations in many companies so far has been to sell in bulk. So whether that's going into retail. Um, distribute distributor or into large enterprise companies uh, is to sell in bulk and then you know and then you know the distributor or the enterprise takes care of the final mile uh, to the uh, to to the user which is us uh, in an yeah. enterprise space um, you know because of the pandemic when we're all working from home or working from anywhere um, you know the order size has gone down to individual units so the supply chain has changed and so um, you know, it, it's getting much more. You're shipping out an individual device and some accessories uh, to a user, uh, which is more of an express or you know a very rapid uh, type movement. And you know, if you're picking an individual unit in a warehouse, that's different than picking a pallet. Um, so it's a different yeah. supply chain model. And then what we're seeing in the market is that actually, uh, in the past. Finished goods organizations and services organizations were two separate entities. And we're starting to see companies start to converge those entities because of the, the because of that life cycle uh, customer that they're looking for, right? They're not only selling and distributing the original product to the customer and then it's job done. They're distributing it, managing the asset in the field and then having to do the reverse logistics and the refurbishment and repair, et cetera. So it becomes much more akin to a services type environment than just a finished goods distribution environment, if that makes sense. Are they connected? Is Do you, do, do customers typically want all of those services or, or are they, is it modular? Are they going, oh, I just want this bit or yeah. how, does, how does it work? Uh, that's an excellent question, Lou. Actually, uh, when we when we decided to get into this, um we purposely made the offering that we wanted to build um uh, very modular and very standardized and we wanted to offer customers the same experience uh globally uh using the same technology etc cetera, etc cetera. and the reason we wanted to try and do that was for two reasons one was so that our customers could offer the same service to their customers no matter where they want to do that around the world but also the the market for reverse logistics and repair services is very fragmented. What you find is that, you know, when you go around the, the world, whether you're in the US, Europe or Asia, um, there's lots of small companies that are absolute experts in what they do. Uh, and what that means is that our customers tend to have different solutions for their customers uh, if they're in the US, Europe and Asia. 
So you know, so we've we've decided that we're going to try and build that out as a global global standard um, to give them that option that they can they can not offer that to their customers in a very standardised um, way. Now, as we've done that, what we've found is that you know, so we go and we say, hey, we have a customer portal to make it easy for your customers to send stuff back, and they say, oh, we don't need that. We already have a portal which is you know branded uh, on on my own. Uh, my own brand. I don't need you to provide that, but I do need the re- reverse logistics services in terms of the transport, uh, the disposition services, the warehousing services. Oh, and by the way, I also have a repair provider who I'm quite happy with the contract that I have with them. So we've been very purposeful in trying to build something which was, if a customer wants to have all of those services, we can provide it. But you know, we don't want to cut off uh, customers who. You know, maybe are maybe are looking for one part of it, right? That was the idea. Awesome. Um, so it sounds like it's a massively flexible solution. It needs to be flexible to meet the requirements of so many different customers, so many different sectors, so many different parts of the globe. Um, but also, it strikes me that giving a second life to a product actually demands different skills um, and and different. Um, uh, different functions, if you like. Mm-hmm. So if you think about remarketing and reselling and the strategy behind it, do we do that or does the customer do that? And and how does that whole thing work? Well, there's there's a number of platforms which exist for that. And, you know, so if you if you go in the e-commerce world, of course, there's lots of platforms on the market that, that do that. But there are also platforms for enterprise equipment which, which do that. So what we're doing is we're linking our technology with those enterprise platforms um, that are known for finding, you know, a reseller for that. Um, a bit like I mentioned in the last question as well, you know, the um, customers typically have those relationships already. Um, so yeah. again, we're offering it. It must be pretty specialized as well. Yeah, it, well, it is, it is. And, uh, you know, the other thing that, um, you know, that you have to think about that is what, what are the programs that the customer's trying to bring back? So I, if I go to one customer, I've got one example where they have something like four different reverse logistics programs, right? One mm-hmm. is for what they call demo loan. So, you know, a customer comes along, or the sales guy comes along and says, I want to sell you a product or I want to lease you a product. Uh, the right. customer says, well, can I try one out first before I buy it, Right. And they, so they give them a, a device to try out. In many cases, those trial devices never come back, right? So imagine, you know, there's there's one customer that I know that that, that costs them a hundred million dollars per year, right? Uh, just in mm-hmm. just in that demo loan area. A second area is just refresh. So they want to upgrade the uh, system uh, for for their customer. You know, all of that products coming back um, has to be um, has to be refurbished and 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 you know maybe harvested, etc. Uh, that's the normal one that we talked about earlier. Uh, the third one is engineering returns, which is the stuff that we were already involved in, where you know you have a break fix event, you f- you fix something, you bring the the faulty one back and you repair that. And the last one is actually interesting, which is uh, the avoidance of the grey market. So um, lots of our customers, um, you know, their products are actually finding a useful second life in in today's marketplace. 
but not necessarily mm. under the original brand. So if I'm a uh, if I'm a laptop producer or I make routers or switches or whatever, uh, there's a whole secondary um, uh, industry which is, which is making money off of those uh, devices by reselling those devices to a useful second customer, right? And so under a different brand, under a under a different brand. So if you go on to okay. if you go on to eBay, it's like a rebuild almost. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if you go into eBay or even Facebook Marketplace and you search for these devices, you'll find hundreds of thousands of these devices for sale, um, not uh, under the original uh, brand's um, control, right? And so right. that you know, then you get into things like brand protection. Uh, counterfeiting, um, all of those types of things. So uh, the the fourth one is where our customers are trying to take control of that grey market themselves, and uh, and that is that's a billion dollar, well, a multi billion dollar industry in itself. Um, that if if our customers can take control of that um, that uh, value stream, then it's a it's an additional it's an additional piece of business. There, there's one. One of the mobile phone producers shared some of the some information with us that um, not uh, one of one of the uh, the telecom operators shared some information with us uh, that they've built a five billion dollar business out of uh, you know refurbishment and and reselling second life devices. So you know that's just one company. So it's a, it's a massive opportunity for companies to to realize additional value. So, Scott, when we try to remember what is most important and what the key tenets are of the um, circular economy, we got together with one of our teams um, at a conference last year and you had us throwing a rugby ball and chanting to remember. What was it we were chanting? Oh, uh, trying to catch me out, aren't you? Wasn't it? Return, recover. Recover, refurbish, reuse and recycle. Yeah, well done. Return, well done, recover. Yeah. I'm impressed. What was it? Say again. Return, Return recover. Return, recover, refurbish, reuse, and recycle. Recycle. There we yeah. go. Scott, thank you so much for spending time with me today. Um, we've reached the end of our time for this episode, um, but it's been great. It's been brilliant to wander into what is essentially a new part of the supply chain. You know, when people think about supply chain, they tend to think about moving things around and storing things. It is so much more than that these days. There's so much more value that we're adding to our customers. And frankly, without being too lofty about it, adding to the world. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed the episode, please let me know. Drop me some feedback. Let me know what other subjects you'd like like to um, hear us discuss in the future.